Welcome to Real Life. We're so happy that you're here this morning. Thank you for being here. If you're watching online, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate it. So we're going to start off this morning, per usual, with some music. So if you're able, let's stand up and we'll start singing together. Oh, happy day, happy day. You washed my sin away. Oh, happy day.
Uh, every Sunday, we take a moment out to give back to God some of what he's given to us. And uh, so we do that as a way to worship God. And before we um, just pray for that, um, I want to tell you about what's been going on this week. So um, I have two um, major things, two big things that have happened. One of them is that we tore a cinder block wall down yesterday. So if you want to see it, um, down in the southwest corner of the building, no, southeast corner of the building, uh, where the fellowship room, we've been calling it fellowship room north and fellowship room south, it's now officially just the fellowship room. Because it's all just one great big room. So, thank you. Uh, thank you to uh, Pam and Deanna, who know how to swing a sledgehammer. Uh, we'll post some pictures on Facebook later from that. That was a pretty fun time. Uh, anyway, that's a big, uh, big deal as we continue to check things off the, um, off the list of projects that we're working on. The other major thing that happened um, this week is that we had a uh, big old leak in the men's restroom. Uh, so, like, I don't know exactly what, we, just, we still don't know exactly what happened. Like, the water is off in there, but it's still dripping. I don't know. This is what happens when you move into a building that's 68 years old. Uh, so, we are not one of those churches where, like, if you give money for something, we, we put a little brass plaque on it with your name. We don't, we don't do that here in real life. Um, however, if you want to buy some new toilet, I will absolutely put your name on that bad boy. <laughs> right in there so you've got something to aim at. Uh, I'm sorry, that was not, it was not, it was, it was, it was fine. Uh, I, that's Ray's idea, that was Ray's idea, let's, let's say that. Ray's idea. Uh, if you go to the Leon uh, Bluestem High School, uh, and if you're a guy and you go in there, they, they have little fly stickers in the urinals. That's where the idea came from. Uh, welcome to real life. If this is your first week here, we, we talk about uh, restrooms, urinals, things like that. Because that's real life. That's everybody, everybody goes. Uh, listen, if you would like to give to help us uh, take care of plumbing issues or, um, oh, the other thing is we turned the Sling Studio on this morning, which is how we record the service and live stream and have all the camera angles and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, I, it's broken. It's bad. It is not working. So we are not live streaming. We're recording the service from one little cell phone in the back. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't know. That's that's a, that's a big. We had plans uh, for the new building um, to update all of that stuff, but it is it is a lot of um, money to do that in a in a physical you know like wired in way. So uh, anyway, if you want to give to any of that, we'd appreciate that. Appreciate your help and support as we try to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like Him every day. So. If you would like to give, there's a bucket in the back by the doors. You can give cash or check that way. God moves your heart to do that. There is also, if you go to reallifecc.us or reallife.faith, you click the I icon in the bottom right-hand corner and then select give, and you can give uh, that way. And there's even a memo section where you can write in um, where you think that's going, uh, that kind of thing. So if God moves your heart to do that, we'd appreciate you uh, partnering with us in that. 
service is going to be a little different this morning, so uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to run the roll in for the message, and uh, then I'm going to preach, and we're going to do communion at the end. Hopefully, you see why we're um, doing that. You probably saw the band left and wondered what was going on. They're going to come back at the end, so you will get one more song um, from them, but it'll be a little different this morning, so just hang on. As we, uh, as we get through the service today, and we get into uh, Naked and Afraid Part 2 uh, of the message series. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and for giving everything that you give to us. You gave your, your son, you gave love and care and concern, and you continue to bless us and give us every good thing Scripture says. And so we just thank you, God, um, for the opportunity to come and to worship you and to partner with you, not only in... Um, loving one another and bearing one another's burdens, burdens, but in in giving and in serving and in loving others, all of these things you've asked us to partner with you in because we get to be a part of this great plan and purpose that you have, and we do that. And so thank you, Father, for allowing us to do that, not just doing everything for us, but allowing us to step in and be a part of that with you. And so, God, um, I just thank you for the gifts that continue to come in and that will, um, we just trust you to provide every need that we have and uh, help us to wait when it's not there and to trust your timing as well. But that God, thanks for loving us. Give us a, a good morning as we come to worship you and to hear from your word and to draw closer to you and look more like you. In Jesus' name. because I think we need to be reminded of this. It's the story of Genesis 1 through 3. You are not a, a beast. God has a higher purpose, a higher plan, a higher calling for your life. And just like Adam and Eve, you get to choose whether you're going to act like a beast in, in your life or an image bearer of, of God, to partner with God in watching over his creation. And that's the choice that was presented to Eve and then to Adam by the serpent at the tree. Last week, we looked at what happened, like leading up to that moment, kind of how the serpent manipulated her and some of the things that he said. We talked a little bit about who the serpent really was and maybe a little bit about what the serpent might have looked like. And, and it's not a snake, you remember. Um, and, and so we led up to that moment in the um, in the story where Eve is presented with this opportunity. Are you going to act like a beast and give in to the desires that are within you? Or are you, are you going to be better? Are you going to choose the purposes and the plans of God? And of course, we, we know the story. Eve chose to elevate herself over God and begin to write her own, own story. God, I, I know you wrote a story for me. And that story was, don't eat from this tree. To trust me. 
And Eve chose to go the other way. And that's where we want to pick up today. So we're going to look at uh, verse 6 of chapter 3, and then we're going to get through the rest of chapter 3 this morning. So here's what we read in Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired. That is word, that's the first time the word desired is used in Scripture. And it comes up from inside of her, desire to make one wise. She took its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And so Eve, she listens to the serpent. We, we talked last week about how maybe it's possible that the serpent was standing there next to the tree. Maybe was eating the fruit himself. And she sees this. And you're like, well, the serpent's not dying. And so maybe it's okay for me. And so she eats some of the fruit. And then there's this progression. Eve gets manipulated by the serpent. She eats. She doesn't die. And then she goes to Adam and she's like, hey, you should eat some of this too. And, and the, the text tells us that Adam was with her. So Adam was there while all of this stuff was going on. And instead of Adam standing up to Eve and the serpent and saying, no, God forbid us to eat from this tree. Um, and, and so I'm not going to. Adam is in this weird position, like he watches and listens to the serpent, and then he watches what Eve does in eating the fruit herself, um, and, and it's like, this is like true man fashion here, right? So he watches Eve getting, um, in a sense, seduced by the serpent, and he just stands there to see what's going to happen. And then um, he's like, okay, well, the serpent is eating the fruit, and he maybe is not dying. And then Eve is going to take a bite. And you notice that Adam doesn't step in and go, no, wait, Eve, let me have a bite first. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. No, Adam's just standing there, and he's like, okay, <laughs> go ahead. So Eve eats the fruit, and she doesn't die. And he's like, well, I guess it's okay. And so the story begins to get manipulated. Eve is absolutely intentionally misled by the serpent who is being sneaky. Like he's not being naked. He's being underhanded. He's kind of cloaking everything that he says. He's being very manipulated, manipulative. But Adam really just seems to choose Eve over God. Like I, I know that God said I shouldn't eat of this fruit, but man, this is Eve. Like she's attractive. Uh, what if I don't eat and then she's mad at me? Is every guy's fear. Are you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> not, not fine. Uh, and so there's this moment where Adam's like trying to figure out what is going on. What's he going to do? How's it going to happen? And so he seems, my opinion, he seems to choose Eve over God. And, and we'll see how this um, how that plays out when we get to the curse portion of the chapter in just a minute. But I want to look at verse um, 7, the first half of verse 7, because it says, Then the eyes of both were opened. The eyes of both were opened. Now we know that the, the, the writer of this, he's not referring to their physical eyes, right? Because in the verse just before this, Eve sees the fruit and she said it looks good for food. And so what does it mean when their eyes are, are open? Is it their spiritual eyes? 
Is it um, their understanding? Maybe something is unlocked in their brain, their understanding. Um, maybe, I mean, let's look at the rest of the verse to see if it, we get any clues. Uh, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothes. Like, I don't know if you are aware of this, but we cannot get away from this naked thing in, in Genesis. Over and over and over again, we're told, they're naked, they're naked, they're naked, they're naked. Uh, they're naked. And, and you get to this point, like, again, if this were any other book, it would cause a problem for us. Like, why does he keep talking about this? What's the point? Why does it, why does it matter to the story? Well, remember last week we talked about the word naked. It's the Hebrew word arom. Uh, and, and it doesn't just mean their, their physical appearance, but it means they were emotionally vulnerable with one another. They were exposed, not just physically, but emotionally, and not just to each other. They were vulnerable, open, and exposed to God. It's the way God looks at us all the time. He sees us for who we really are. There's nothing hidden from him. We can't put, we can put lots and lots of, like it's getting colder, we'll put lots and lots of clothes on, doesn't stop God. God can see who we really are all the time. He knows our sin. He knows our shame. He knows our struggle. All of those things. I, in, in chapter 1, verse 25, we're told that Adam and Eve are naked and they feel or they felt no shame. And, and then we get here to chapter 3 and all of a sudden, like, we're okay. Well, they're still naked. Um, thanks for sharing that, writer. They're still naked. But now, all of a sudden, they feel shame about the way they were created. But when we reject God's purpose, we run into problems. When we reject the, God's purpose for our lives, direction, his plan, we begin to run into problems in our life. When even Adam ate the fruit, they undermined God's authority, and, and now that they aren't trusting God's version of how life is supposed to be, what their purpose is and the plan is for their lives, now they have to rely on their own life. They have to supply their own <coughs> purpose now. They have to supply their own plan for their life. Instead of submitting to the shelter of God's design, they're now faced with the shame of their own desires. Everything is exposed now. Like God wanted them to be image bearers of his in the world. He, he said, you, you function as me over all the other beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the, and, the, and the fish in the sea. You act as like little gods. You're image bearers in the world. But when they rejected that purpose, they no longer knew where they fit in God's story. And so they had to begin creating their own definitions of right and wrong. They had to determine that now. All of a sudden, they had to determine that for themselves. And when we determine right and wrong internally, we begin to have problems relationally. When we each determine right and wrong in here, we decide what's right and wrong. We begin to have problems relationally. And the reason is because my definition of what is right and wrong might not be your definition of what is right and wrong. Does this sound like what's going on in the world right now? Everybody has their own definition. This is right. And that definition, it, it like shifts, doesn't it? Well, this is wrong in this moment, but it might be right over here. 
And so it depends on where I'm at, how I'm feeling, and what's going on around me. Stealing something from somebody might be wrong if they're standing there, but it might be right if nobody's watching. And so those definitions of right and wrong, they shift for us. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, they move out of cooperation with each other and with God, and they move into competition. That they were naked. They were exposed. They were vulnerable to one another. They could see everything there. And all of a sudden, that stuff, they become really a lot like the snake, the serpent. They, they now are like being sneaky with each other. They're hiding things from one another. It's this whole big deal. Instead of cooperation, they're now in competition. And that leads us right into what happens next in verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And I'll just pause um, for a moment and, and think about this. What does it sound like when God walks in the garden in the cool of the day? What does it sound like? It says they heard the Lord walking in the, in the garden. What was that sound? Whatever that sound was, I, I, I don't know. But I, I do think it was inviting. It was inviting. Like, you, you know how you set your coffee pot for the morning when you wake up and you come out of the bedroom and you walk in the kitchen, you can smell the coffee? And it just, it's just like, you're just like, ah. Oh. That's just, that's just good. And, and, and this might be, you might go, oh, man, preacher, you're, I, this is just a weird thing. I love the smell of a pipe or a cigar. I love the smell of that. I, I, don't, I don't super like having it, but I really like the smell. It's just, it's just like, ah, oh, sit down. It's like when, when grandma um, makes her famous uh, cherry pie. And, and I say that because um, Andrea is soon going to be a grandma. And she makes a really incredible cherry pie. Grandma makes a cherry pie. And you go, um, you smell it. You're like, oh, man. It just invites you into relationship. It's like, have a cup of coffee and sit down and let's talk and let's... And let's share. Go come eat this piece of pie. And let's just hang out and, and, and let's talk. Let's relax for a minute and have a conversation. But, but that sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, that inviting sound, whatever that, whatever that was, that was, that was yesterday. That was before Adam and Eve decided to write their own story. And this time, when they hear the sound of God walking in the garden, it's not inviting, it's terrifying. And all of a sudden, in, in, instead of being excited about seeing God and spending time with him, all of a sudden, they're afraid of seeing God or being with God. But, but I want you to know that that feeling of, of fear, it is only one-sided. It's only one-sided in, in the story. And, and we often, I think I told you in the very beginning, I think it's important for us to look at this and understand the first few chapters of Genesis because here is where we base all of our understanding of our relationship with God, about being separated from God, about being outside of his will, outside of his plan, outside of his purpose. 
And for thousands of years now, humanity has just been trying to scratch and claw to get back to God. Because we feel separated. We feel distanced. We feel afraid. And though we want to be with God and we want to have that closeness, there's this fear there that I might not be accepted. I might not be wanted. God might not want to spend time with me because I'm exposed to him, because he knows what I've done. He knows what I think. He's heard what I have said. And so there's this fear on the part of Adam and Eve. Now that God has shown up and they have sinned, and they're like, we don't know how he's going to respond to us. We're scared, but it's only one-sided. Prior to their sin, Adam and Eve were exposed. They were vulnerable. There was nothing hidden between them as husband and wife, as man and woman, and, and there was nothing but nothing hidden between them and God. And the three of them were all exposed to, to one another. There was this very close relationship. But look at the wording in verse 8. It says, They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God is an afterthought there for the first time. He's not the center of all this creation and everything that they're doing and, and, and everything that's happening. He now is this afterthought. They were afraid. They hid themselves from God and, and they're in this brand new thing. What, what, what it means is this. God did not hide himself from Adam and Eve. God did not remove himself from Adam and Eve. God did not say, you are too sinful for me to be in your presence now, and so you have to go away. They hid themselves from the Lord. And so this presence that they had been running toward, they are now running from. But it's only Adam and Eve that are doing the running. God seems to be moving toward them while they are moving away from him. Look at the next verse, verse 9. They're hiding, they're afraid, they're running away. And the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? And we, we talked um, last week about this word, where, and, and what it means. It, it doesn't mean, where are you? I don't know where you are. It means, where are you? You were supposed to be here. We had an appointment and you're not here. Where are you? You're not where you're supposed to be. And so my question um, today is, did God know where Adam and Eve was before he appeared in the garden for his daily walk? Did he know where Adam and Eve were, hiding behind the tree? Yeah, he's God. Of course he knew. He knew when the servant first gave that uh, uh, misled Eve and she took the fruit and then she gave it to Adam. Like God knew all of that was going on. And yet what does he do? What changed with God from yesterday before they had eaten the fruit to today? But nothing changed from God's perspective. It seems that God still wanted to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Did you ever think about that? Adam and Eve have sinned. They've hidden themselves. They're naked. They're exposed. They're afraid. And God shows up just like he did yesterday. And he says, hey, we had an appointment. 
Where are you? Why aren't you here? You're supposed to be here. Even though they had sinned and eaten the forbidden fruit, he was still there going, hey, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Let's walk in the cool of the day. Like this does not seem like an angry God to me who's ready to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden because they blew it. They broke the one rule and now he's coming down to punish them. Really what it seems like in the story that God is pretending he doesn't even know what they did. He shows up in the garden. He's like, hey, where are you? I thought we were going to get together. I thought we were going to have this talk. I thought we were going to have this chat. And, and God doesn't pretend not to know what they did for his benefit. He's acting like he doesn't know what they did for their benefit. This does not seem like a God they need to be afraid of. Well, think about this. Has God done anything in the story yet that would cause them to be afraid? Everything God has done has been loving and full of peace and grace. He has, he has shown Adam and Eve how to do things. I actually think what we learn from the story is that God um, is teaching Adam and Eve every day. He's showing up and he's walking in the garden with them. And they're going, God, look, we ran into this challenge, this struggle or whatever. And God's like, oh yeah, here, let me explain that to you. Where did we get all of this understanding as humanity? Let me just tell you, it was not the aliens. They did not come down from outer space and build the pyramids and all that kind of stuff. If you watch YouTube, uh, it, was not, it was not the aliens. I, I think God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and I think he talked with them. And he educated them about things. They understood. And I think they tried things and maybe didn't work out exactly like they wanted. And so God said, here's how you, you do it. I think that's how we got the collective understanding and knowledge that we have today. And, and what the story means is this. It means God didn't move. Humanity did. God didn't move. Humanity did. When we talk about being separated from God, being outside of his love or outside of his care because we've sinned. And now what you heard in VBS and when you're a kid in church growing up, God can't abide sin. And so he has to, he has to exclude you, he has to push you out, he has to kick you out of the garden because he can't be around sin. But what does God do after Adam and Eve sin? He shows up and he says, hey, I thought we were going for a walk. Where are you? Why aren't you here? If, if we feel separated from God or excluded or kicked out of the garden, it's not because that's what the story tells us. Because I think the story tells us something completely different. God didn't move. In fact, if anything, God showed greater love, greater care, greater concern, greater compassion for his creation after they sinned than before. Because wouldn't that stand to reason? Now Adam and Eve have broken the only rule that they had in the garden. Like, oh my goodness, they couldn't even do one simple thing. And he shows up and he says, no, I love you and I care about you and I want to spend time with you and let's go um, for a walk. I, I, think, I, think, I think God shows up and he invites them for this walk but because he knew they already felt shame. And he did not want them to suffer further shame. 
Remember, God is called a good father. So he shows up in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their sin, and he's like, hey, let's go for a walk. God goes out of his way to make sure that Adam and Eve know for certain of his love and his care and concern and that, and that their sin had not changed him. Yeah, I know you sin, and I know things are going to be different for you now, but I want you to know that I'm the same yesterday, today, forever. I haven't moved. I'm still here. I'm still inviting you in to have this walk with me. And so we see in this story, like Adam and Eve, it's all Adam and Eve, it's all Adam and Eve. And God shows up and he goes, no, I love you and I care about you and I want to be with you and I want to walk with you in the cool of the day. I have incredible love for you and it, and it overflows even your sin. And then what's Adam's response in verse 10? And Adam's like, well, uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid myself. That's, that's Adam's response to God. And of all the things that Adam could have been afraid of after his sin, primarily, if you eat this fruit, you will die. That would probably be on the top of my list, I think. I'm afraid because I thought you were going to kill me. That, that's a reason to be afraid for Adam and Eve, I think. But what does he say? He says, I, I was afraid because I was naked. You have to go, my goodness, what in the world did Adam look like naked? <laughs> He's that afraid about, like, my goodness, what's going on? He wasn't afraid of God. He wasn't afraid of the serpent. He was afraid because he was naked, because he was vulnerable, because he was exposed, I think. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I'm naked. I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable to you. And now I'm not sure how you're going to respond to my vulnerability. It's the first act in Scripture of self-preservation, or selfishness, and not just in the Bible, but in world history. Their eyes are open, and now they can't be open and honest anymore. Isn't that an interesting thing? Their eyes are open, but then now they can't be open and honest with each other. Because that kind of vulnerability, when we're exposed to other people, that, that, that can lead to rejection. That, that, can, that can lead, what, what if they don't like me anymore? What if they're upset with me? When they find out what I did, are they going to reject me? And they're going to say, I don't want to spend time with you anymore. I want to be with you. Doesn't it, it feels to me like that's what Adam is experiencing for the very first time. He says, I, I, I ate the fruit, but it made me aware of my own sin, and it caused shame within me. And now I don't know if I can be open and honest and vulnerable and exposed to you, God, anymore, because I don't know how you are going to respond to me. What does God have to say about Adam and Eve's sin and, and now this fear that has come out? God says this. Who told you you were naked? 
Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Question one, did God know they were naked? Yeah, he created them that way. Number two, did he know that they had eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Of course he did. He's, he's God, and he's bringing them on this journey. He's like, okay, I know where I stand. I'm the same yesterday. Things have changed for you, Adam and Eve, and so I'm going to bring you along in this story. All the things that God could have said to Adam and, and Eve. Number one, why did you listen to your wife? <laughs> Sorry. All the things that God could have said to Adam. Adam, why didn't you intervene? When the serpent first showed up and started talking to Eve, why didn't you get in the middle? Why didn't you say, not today, Satan? God could have showed up and he could say, oh, we're naked and we hid ourselves. And, and God just said, I'm so disappointed in you, Adam. I had higher hopes for you. I thought you, why can't you be more like your older brother? I, he didn't have an older brother. But... You know, I think God could have said a whole lot of things in that moment. Instead, God says the most weird question in the history of questions. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to? Let, let, me, let me say this another way and see if it, it, it resonates at all. Adam, who are you listening to? Did I create you naked? Didn't I tell you it was good? Didn't I write a good story for you in the garden? Didn't you trust me when I said, don't eat from that tree because it's bad. It's, it's going to bring harm to you. Does this sound like a God who is mad at his creation and is anxiously awaiting just kicking them out of the God. I can't wait to get rid of them. Their sin is so disgusting to me. I got to kick them out. I'm never going to talk to them again. Go to your room. Like Grandpa says to Tristan, go lay down. Get away. Like I can't, like the sight of you just irritates me. The selfishness and the self-preservation continue in the next few verses. Look, look, what, look what it says. This Adam and Eve. The man said, Look, God, the woman you gave me, she, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And so God goes to the woman, What is it that you've done? And she says, well, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Like Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. It's, a, it's the age old story. It's never my fault. I didn't do it. It was, yes, I was absolutely involved, and it was me who caused the thing to happen, but I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. She made me do it. He made me feel those feelings. I was taken advantage of, God. I was caught by surprise. It's not my fault. What, is it, what does it all mean? What does this all mean for Adam and Eve now? Well... What it really comes down to is this. No one is naked anymore. No one's naked anymore. Because Adam and Eve, the first thing that they do is they go find some fig leaves and they make clothes for themselves. They cover up their nakedness. Like, what does it mean for all of us? 
We're all afraid, right? Me and you, we're all afraid. What's going to happen when I get to heaven? How's God going to respond to me? Because I'm exposed to him. My sin and, and my shame and my trouble and I tried to do the right thing and I, and I didn't do it. Instead, I did the wrong thing. And how's God going to respond? Like we're all now hiding who we really are from everybody else. Because we're afraid to be rejected. We're now afraid that we won't be good enough and if you know my sin and my shame, maybe you won't love me anymore. And maybe I won't be needed anymore. And, and we're afraid that God, the, the, the perfect, the holy creator of the universe, who knows us more intimately than anyone else, we're really afraid that he would decide we're not good enough <coughs> and reject us. And ultimately, it goes back to that very first act of God. We're afraid that he won't come to us in the cool of the day and say, let's go for a walk. That God doesn't want to spend time with us because of our sin. That's a reason to be afraid, isn't it? That's why we fear. And the rest of the, the chapter, we get this series of curses and consequences, and I want to go through them real quick. The, the serpent is cursed and suffers consequence because of his manipulation. He intentionally hid the truth. He manipulated Eve. Um, and and did, he, did he do that? Like, did he do it intentionally? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the whole story. All I know is the result of what happened. I mean, even if he just came and, and almost innocently just goes, Eve, aren't you just a beast like the rest of us? Why, why are you special? Like maybe he just was asked, I don't know. But he absolutely manipulated her. And, and I think he fancied himself better than all the other beasts. I think he thought he was the representative for all the other beasts and he's coming to Adam and Eve, and he's like, hey, uh, Eve, I think I'm a better choice for you than Adam. Aren't, you're just a beast like the rest of us. There's nothing different. God created us. God created you. We, why can't we be the same? And so instead of being the king of the beasts, God causes him to become the lowest of the beasts. And instead of probably standing up on on two legs and looking very human, all of a sudden he now is crawling on his belly. And, and what's more than that, God just doesn't leave it there, but he, he creates hostility. That's what the word enmity in, in, in your Bible, he created enmity between the man and the, and the woman. It just means hostility. And he created hostility between the beast and his image bearers to make sure, I think, that there would never be another opportunity like this again. That there would never be this, this garden exchange between the beast world and Adam and Eve. Uh, again, there would never be an opportunity for them to be in some kind of relationship. Because if you think about it, in the garden it was perfect, right? Everybody ate vegetables. There was, there, you, you apparently could walk up to a beast and have a conversation. A rational, 
logical, leading conversation with a beast. Blow your mind, but isn't that what we see in the story? And to make sure that there's never another opportunity for that to happen again, God changes the relationship. And I think the curse wasn't just about the snake. I think it was for all the beasts. And I think God totally changed the relationship between the animal world and the human world that day. And I think he seals it later in the chapter, at the end of chapter 3, when he kills an animal and he teaches Adam and Eve how to make clothes. Now there's hostility between the beastly world and the human world. And we move on to the woman. Eve was absolutely misled by the serpent. And so there is no curse for her, but she does get consequences. There is an increase in pain in childbirth. And all the ladies are like, yay. Couldn't you come up with something else, God? <laughs> would, have been, would have been nice. But would you want to think about this? The major way that Eve connects with the creative power of God is when she gives birth. Because a woman has the ability to create life inside of her. And isn't that exactly what God did? Didn't God create life? And so when a woman gives birth, she connects to the creative power of God. In fact, um, in chapter 4, which we're going to look at next week in the life of Cain, when Eve gives birth to Cain, she doesn't say, with the help of Adam, I have created another person, man. She says, with the help of God. This creative power of, of God to create humanity is shared, is shared with Eve and all women to be able to create another person inside of you. Now, she still gets to partner with God in this process of creation, but he says, look, it's going to be painful. This way that we were connected in the creative process, it's going to be painful for you. Then we go to Adam in the curse in chapter 3. Adam wasn't misled like Eve was, but he did eat the fruit that she gave him. Like there's, there's, not, a, there's not a curse for him, but there absolutely is consequences because he chose Eve over, over God. And so there's consequence for Adam too. Adam, though, he doesn't partner with God in creating humans like Eve does. He plays a very minimal role in that process. The way that Adam shares in God's creative power is by growing things, like God did. You, you think about it, what does Genesis chapter 1 tell us? It tells us that God created and brought forth things out of the ground, the bushes and the trees and the vegetables and all of these things. He created this stuff out of the ground, and then he formed Adam and Eve and Eve gets to partner with that creative power in creating more people. And Adam gets to partner with that creative power of God by bringing things out of the ground, by growing things. And I think that's what he did in, in the garden. So Adam is not cursed, but the thing that he maybe cherishes very highly, the ground, this thing is cursed. And because of Adam's sin, the ground is no longer going to produce what he wants. 
And so God says, here's the consequences. In this way that you and I connect through creative power, here are the consequences. Instead of all kinds of plants and vegetables and trees and fruits, when you plant things in the ground, what you're going to get is thorns and thistles. And through sweat and hard labor, you're going to eat bread, which seems like an odd thing to say, except they probably had never ate bread before. God says, now your staple isn't going to be vegetables, fruits, the things that just grow naturally here. You're going to have to take what grows and you're going to have to manipulate it into this thing called bread. And you're going to, you're going to eat that. Um, and then there's this uh, death part. He says, you're going to return to dirt because that's what you were created from. And, and, and then in God's final act of anger and disgust toward Adam and Eve because of their sin, he gives them a present. And he makes them clothes. They were already clothed, by the way. Remember, they sewed fig leaves together and they made clothes for themselves. And God says, no, I'm going to show you how to do this because you're going to need to know in the future. Nowhere in the story of Adam and Eve do we get the idea that God is angry with humanity, that he can't stand to look at them or can't exist in relationship with them, even though there is now sin. And the reason Adam and Eve have to leave the garden isn't because of their sin. God doesn't say, say you've got to leave because you're sinful and evil and I can't stand to look at you anymore. The reason Adam and Eve have to leave the garden is because God loves them and cares about them. You see, if Adam and Eve continue to have access to the tree of life in the garden, they would have physically lived forever. No, I don't understand how it works. But God says they can't stay in the garden because in their state of sin, they will eat from the tree of life and they will physically live forever. And so I've got to stop that from happening. And by separating Adam and Eve from the tree for a while, God will make it possible for them to actually be in relationship with him in the garden once again and forever. So Adam and Eve don't get separated from God in the garden story. They get separated from the tree of life. How is God, by separating Adam and Eve, by allowing death to naturally occur in their lives, not by supernaturally overcoming it by eating the fruit, how does God bring about this thing where they're going to die, but then they're going to experience the garden again and be able to be with God. We're actually told in the midst of that curse section in scripture in verse 15, he says, I will create hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This verse here is what's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first statement of a promised Messiah in all of Scripture. And it comes in chapter 3 of Genesis. And it comes in the midst of the curse. 
God says, I'm going to make a way for you. God already had a plan before Adam and Eve ate the fruit to deal with the sin of humanity and restore that relationship. And he did that through Jesus. Through Jesus' death on the cross. And I want to share something that I never noticed before until it was recently pointed out to me. I want you to think about the consequences of Adam's sin. We just went through them. The ground will produce thorns and thistles. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread for the rest of your life, and then you'll return to the dirt. You'll be buried. You're going to return to the ground from which you came. And now think about the night, the events of the night that Jesus was betrayed. On his head was placed a crown of thorns. Crown's going to produce thorns and thistles. On Jesus' head goes a crown of thorns. God says to Adam, by the sweat of your face, you're going to work the ground and you're going to eat bread. And what does Jesus do that night? He sweats great drops of blood as he prays. That very night, Jesus ate bread with his disciples. And he said, this bread represents my body. And though it wasn't in the curse, I find it really interesting that when Adam and Eve, when God shows up in the garden and Adam and Eve hide from him, they hide behind a tree. They use a tree to cover themselves up from God, to hide so they're not exposed. God now uses a tree to expose Jesus to humanity. And finally, Jesus is buried in the dirt. And it all took place in a garden. <clears throat> it also happened on a Friday, before sundown, uh, after sundown, Thursday, happened on Friday. What day of the week is Friday? It's the sixth day of the week. And what day was Adam and Eve created on? The sixth day of creation. Even in what we call the curse, God was working this incredible plan to rescue humanity. Not because he hated us, but because he loves us. And in Jesus, who's called the second Adam, God undid the curse brought on by the first Adam. Today, we're going to take communion in just a moment. We're going to do that together to recognize, first and foremost, that God loves us. Not just us, he loves you. He never wanted you to leave the garden. Even in the midst of your sin, he didn't want you to leave the garden. He didn't want to be separated from you. You are incredibly loved. 
even though sometimes you act like a beast, God treats you like you're better. He loves you deeply. He still wants to walk in the garden with you in the cool of the day. And while the sin of Adam and Eve caused us all to feel separated from God, God has never separated himself from you. When we take communion, we commune with God. And even though we've sinned this week, this morning, maybe we've sinned, God is still here this morning going, where are you? I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you. I want to share with you. I want to spend time with you. Why don't you come meet with me? Band is going to play and, and you're free. Whatever, whatever moment you feel like it, you're free to take the communion. There's a little piece of bread there in the bottom of the cup, and it represents Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, he said, this bread now represents my body, which is given as a sacrifice to you. And there's a little bit of juice with that cup as, as well, because on that same night, Jesus took a glass of wine, and he passed it around the table, and he says, this wine now represents my blood, my sacrifice, which is going to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. And that act of Jesus on the night of the sixth day was tied to the curse in the very beginning. We have this beautiful picture of God's overwhelming love for us in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Not just for the sacrifice of Jesus, but for the plan that you laid out so long before that. And God, for a, a, a lot of, of years, probably in our lives, we have lived believing that our sin separates us from you. And that you can't stand the sight of us because of our sin. That, that, that it's so, it caused you so much pain and so much anger when we sinned that you had to kick us out of the garden. And yet when we look closer, we see that that was not the story you were telling at all. You were telling a story about our failure and your faith. About our struggle and your steadfastness. This is why we're told that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you never move. You are always with us. You are always calling. Where are you? Why don't you come meet with me? I love you. I want to spend time with you. When we celebrate communion, we commune with you through the sacrifice of your son Jesus so that one day we can be back with you in the garden forever and once again be naked and feel no shame. God, even though we're scared and we're unsure, you have promised to respond to us in love and help us to hold on to that, God. 
thank you for this story. Thank you that we can always come back to you and that you will always welcome us with open arms.
couple announcements. Um, Sunday, October 29th, uh, remember we have our trunk or treat that starts at 4 and it'll go till 6. Uh, the actual trunk or treat will start at 5.30 where uh, your kids can get some candy. Uh, you can wear costumes, of course, uh, but like we said last week, uh, dress appropriately. Um, we will have games, free food, uh, and a hayride uh, from 4 to 6, and then like I said, the trunk or treat at 5.30. Um, we are now doing um, our student ministry on Wednesdays, so that is uh, Wednesday at 6.30 until 8 o'clock. Uh, there will be food for the students at youth group, and like I said uh, last week, and you weren't here, uh, we know it's a little bit of a drive, so Amber has uh, said that she will drive some kids up here. Uh, if you would like that, just meet at the Quick Trip in um, at Haverhill and Central at 6.15, and she'll transport the kids here and then, and then take them back um, afterwards. So uh, if you've got kids in the 6 to 12 uh, grade, make sure to have them do that. And then uh, our series continues next Sunday uh, with Fear or Faith, uh, the story of Cain, read Genesis 4 uh, for background. Um, if you'd like to get a little background before coming into next week's series. So thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, you guys are now dismissed. Have a good week.